Galatians 1, 6 through 10. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is God's word. All right. If you're new, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, And we are taking the year. Okay. We're just going to do that. Um, To work through a a couple different books of the Bible, uh, but we are in Galatians for the beginning of the year. Um, So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, 8 through 10. How are you guys doing? Good. We had a, had a big week this year, this week, not this year. Well, I guess this year. This year started off with a big week. Um, some crazy stuff happened as a country. The Capitol was breached, uh, and that's a historical moment that has stemmed from deep frustrations and divisions and, and a lot of other things. And for us as a community, the question is, how do we process that through a gospel-shaped Lens. Um, so this week we released a video uh, beginning that discussion. If you guys want to check that out, it's uh, up on our YouTube channel, Facebook. We emailed it out, and I hope it's helpful and maybe challenging. Uh, but before we, we get in, I just want to take a moment to, to pray uh, about what's been going on and, and recognize that. So, uh, Father, uh, I know that I am still confused about everything. Um, Watching the events as they took place was jarring for me. And I know that there's a lot of tension right now. And as your people, we come to you humbly. We want to be united in you across any political spectrum. Uh, You are what is supreme. And throughout history, since Cain and Abel, mankind has risen up against one another in destruction. And governments have fought one another. And we have continuously found that our hope is not in governments. Our hope must be in you. Our hope cannot be in relationships. Our hope must be in being unified in you. And as we move forward and as the country moves forward in continued tension. And we still don't know what's going to yet come out of all of this. I ask that you would remind your people where our heart is supposed to be, where our minds are supposed to be, that we are people united in love and united in our mission to teach everyone about the love of Christ and what he's done and and how to follow Christ and, and with the great commands to love you and love our neighbor as ourselves. And so... We give you um, praise, intention. We forget often to look to you, and so we ask that you would reform our hearts. And and I pray that you would have your will with the country, um, that we would move forward peaceably, uh, peaceably toward you. In your name, amen. 
Um, so speaking of a, a gospel-shaped lens, so looking at what has happened this week and saying, how do we understand these things according to the gospel? Um, we should actually be interpreting everything in life through the gospel, a gospel-shaped lens. And so this year we're focusing on the theme of being set apart, which is a super kind of overused Christian-y word that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, but what makes us set apart is not how morally superior we are, um, not our political views, not what we do on social media. What makes us set apart is how we understand culture and life through the lens of the good news of Jesus Christ and then how that impacts uh, how we live and think and act. And, and with that in mind, we chose Galatians specifically for that because Galatians is dealing with uh, a people group, uh, Christians, who have believed in the gospel, and then they begin to believe in something that is not the gospel. And Paul comes in very heartbroken and I think frustrated and angry trying to bring his people back there. And, and so we want to kind of wrap ourselves in the gospel this year. Uh, and... Andy last week kind of started us off with talking about where we're going, uh, and this week we're going to look at the basis of the book uh, and the background. Uh, we're going to look at kind of uh, the pairing of theology with missiology, like how do you understand scripture and how do you teach scripture and how does the gospel change and, and spread to different cultures, uh, even in towns like Tucson, where Tucson has Many different cultures spread out all in its different regions, and that way, that means the churches are going to kind of live the gospel out in different-looking ways. And so, I, I hope today we're going to find some some things that are going to challenge us and encourage us, and and help us to be formed by the gospel. Uh, so I'm going to pray again now for our time in the, the Word. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Galatians chapter one, verses six through ten. Uh, really, just. 8 through 10. That's where my focus is going to be uh, as we pray. Father, once again, we want to talk to you. We're opening your word. uh, And God, I am a fallible, sinful human being that you've made righteous, and I'm righteous in you, but I can say wrong things. And so, Spirit, help me not to speak anything that is not of you and that is contrary to your word. I ask that you'd give all of us wisdom as we dig into this. we want to worship you and know you and praise you. And we want you to be the, the center and focus of our lives. So I ask that our time in your word today would, would help us to do that. I ask that you would meet each one of us where we're at. Um, do with our hearts what you need to. Some of us need, need to be challenged. Some of us need to be comforted. And I ask that you just do that work. Uh, and I know that you can do that work. Help us to have uh, ears to hear and eyes to see. In your name, amen. All right, um, so we're going to dive in by looking at three things. Uh, there's definitely more than three things in these three verses, um, but for the sake of time uh, and probably sanity, we're just going to look at three things. Um, if you have questions after the sermon, feel free to email me at nick at missionchurchtucson.com. Uh, but today we're going to look at three things. Uh, number one, what did Paul preach Uh, that's how the church started. Number two, what is this false gospel? How do we understand it? Number three, how is the gospel culturally expressed? Because that's, that's the problem happening in this epistle. So what did Paul preach? What is the false gospel? And how is the gospel culturally expressed? 
Galatians 1.8, we'll start there with uh, what did Paul preach? But even if we, that is Paul and the apostles, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. What did Paul preach? Um, it's interesting when, when we read through the epistles, often we forget to connect them back to the book of Acts because all these epistles were written to churches uh, in areas where, where ministry was happening and Paul was planting churches. And so to know what Paul preached to the Galatians, we actually have to go to where the formation of their church happened. Uh, and what's really cool is we can actually do that. Um, we can see these groupings of churches hear the good news for the very first time. Uh, and so, so that happened, does anybody know where? In Acts chapter 13 and 14. Um, so let's turn to Acts chapter 13. I'm not going to read all of the, the chapters because that would take too long, but we're going to look at some key verses. Acts 13 verse 16. Acts chapter 13 verse 16. We're just going to kind of go on a little trip with Paul. Um, Acts 13, 16 through 18. If you got it, say, I've got it. Okay, now I, I need to get it, actually. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. That's one of my favorite verses in the book of Acts, by the way. It's just... I just wrote ha-ha next to it in my Bible. Yeah, he just put up with them in the wilderness. Um, Paul shares the good news of Jesus Christ, and where does he start? Uh, he starts with the forming of God's people. God chose this people group, and then how they multiplied in Egypt. So he starts way back with God called with a God-called people. That's Genesis. When Paul shares the gospel, he starts in Genesis. Um, right now, my microchurch is, we're reading through the Bible together on a version uh, Bible Project app. And it's pretty cool because, you know, it gives you like a little video, you watch the video and you're like, oh, I understand the Bible better now. And then you read and you're like, these people are terrible. <laughs> They're like the worst humans you could ever know. I mean, they're giving away the wives like, Every other chapter, it seems like, to protect themselves. You definitely learn why polygamy shouldn't be a thing because it always turns out bad. Uh, and it, it seems like when you're reading it that, that God is on such a mission to form these people so that they'll bless that he just keeps working with just the worst people. I mean, just even Jacob and, and Esau, where we kind of ran through that today, and, and and Jacob betrays Esau right away, lies to him right away, and God still continues to bless and form Jacob out of uh, a people group out of Jacob, which he changes his name to Israel, which means one who strives with God and man. So we kind of know the direction of the rest of the Old Testament. They're going to be striving against God and man. That was totally an aside. Sorry, I just got excited. Um, so God chooses a people, and then in, in the book of Exodus, they begin to multiply, and 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 then he pulls them out of Egypt. And, and I want you to know that because that's really important. We need to remember those things. Now let's look at uh, Acts 13, 46 through 48. Acts 13, 46 through 48. 
And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. This was our adoration. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, you are turning to the Gentiles. We are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord commanded us saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, Gentiles are just non-Jews. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So when Paul tells the gospel, he starts in Genesis, and then he talks about the promise God makes to send a savior in verse 23, and then he continues until Jesus and his death and resurrection, that starts in verse 28, and he continues all the way to the Jews rejecting the Messiah and the good news now being made known to the non-Jewish world. That's kind of what we just read. And there's a couple of reasons why I, I want you to look at this as a whole. First, it reminds us that the gospel, the good news is not Jesus died on a cross for my sins. Uh, that is part of the good news, but the gospel is far greater than that. The Bible is one unified story about how God is on mission to redeem his people. Um, God is on a mission to redeem not only his people, but the earth. And, and then we will dwell with him uh, and, and his redeemed people will get to, to be a part of, of God dwelling with mankind. And that is beyond me. But until that happens, we know that we have a role to play as the church, just as Paul is doing in spreading the good news. So that's one reason why I want you to look at this. I, I want an understanding of the gospel to be great and not individualistic. Uh, the second reason is that this now causes problems, the good news going to the Gentiles. Um, by the time the book of Galatians was written, uh, there were a ton of Gentile believers. And some theologians would even say that there were more Gentile believers than Jewish believers, and that causes problems and, and a tension to arise and grow up out of this because of cultural differences amongst people groups. Um, those problems and tensions, uh, tensions arise in, in Acts chapter 15, one through two. And some men came down from Judea, okay, that's Jewish area, and they're, they're in the Galatian re region, and were teaching brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Bartimaeus had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So now often when we read things like this, we read it through a historical informational lens, uh, but I want you to think about it, understanding the mission of God and the gospel and how that is for every culture. Uh, how does the gospel spread to different people groups? How did it land here in America and how does it, reach other areas of Tucson that are culturally different than us. And that question leads the apostles to realize something in, in chapter 15, verse 14. Uh, Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take, them, or take from them a people for his name. And then verses 19 through 21, therefore my judgment is that we should, now tr we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. 
For from ancient generations, Moses had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Okay, that may all seem kind of boring to you. Um, So let me recap. Paul goes into a new area, a place that has not understood the good news of Jesus Christ yet, has not understand that God has formed a people group that's going to bless the, the nations with it. And he goes there and they begin to believe and they begin to be filled with the spirit and, and they're following Jesus. And, and where the gospel started, the people from there begin to see, wow, this new area in Galatia, they're following God, but they're not getting circumcised. They don't look like us. Like when we follow Jesus, it looks this particular way. You should do these particular things. And so they went to inform them. Paul disagrees and they bring that to the apostle. This is all in the beginning of the church. So this is kind of tumultuous. Uh, And it's decided, no, they can follow Christ in a culturally appropriate way. Uh, And so they send Paul back with that good news. The Gentiles could worship God in, in a way that is filled with the Holy Spirit and is culturally appropriate. Now, this is important, uh, and and there's a shift, because the understanding that the mark of those who follow Jesus is not circumcision, but the indwelling of the Holy Spirit explains, one, a lot of the weird things that you read in the book of Acts, but a lot of what Galatians is really about. Um, Paul goes back to these churches in the Galatian region, and gives them that good news. God is on mission to redeem his people and and the world. And you can worship him through faith, indwelt with the Holy Spirit as an an appropriate way that reflects your people group. Um, So that's the good news that Paul brought. Does that make sense? Everybody understand that? That might have been a lot. I feel like we just kind of bounced around. Um, It is more than Jesus died to save you for your sins, um, it, it's, it's with the whole world in view, all of the people groups in view, and all the nuances and the different ethnicities and people groups. Uh, so now let's go back and explore what's actually going on. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that is contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is very upset. And he is very heartbroken. Twice he uses that phrase, let him be accursed, the anathema, means doomed to destruction. If anyone gives you a gospel contrary to what I've taught you, let him be destroyed, dedicated to destruction. Now, remember, contextually, circumcision is in this. Why is, why is Paul so intense? He tends to be an intense person anyway, but if you look at uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16... Yet we know, this is what what Paul's drive is. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
Paul's upset because the people have reverted back to the Jewish law, in particular circumcision, which is what Acts 15 settled the debate for. So that's, just as a pastor, as someone who like studies scripture and you make a decision and then a year down the road, you find people still back there, that's very frustrating. I understand why Paul's upset. Uh, not to mention that, that it's throwing a face into the, or throwing, throwing mud in the face of, of what Christ has actually accomplished. So how did they get there? How did the Galatian church move from the, the actual good news to believing something that was accursed? It's the very same people that Paul contended with in the book of Acts, the Judaizers. The Judaizers came back and continued to convince the Gentile Christians that they needed to become more Jewish in order to follow Christ. And last week, Andy talked about the Judaizers, so I'm not going to spend much time. But I will say this. I don't think we view them correctly. Uh, in this book, we view them as the bad guys, right? They're the bad guys. Even the name Judaizer sounds bad. Um, but I want you to think about this. These are people who believed in Jesus and followed him. They're Christians, Jewish Christians. Um, they weren't trying to get the Galatians to stop believe, believing in Jesus. Uh, matter of fact, I, I think they actually had really, really good hearts and were doing this lovingly. They sincerely believed that if you were going to follow Jesus, it had to be the same way that they did. And so for them, this became a grace and law issue. You had to follow the Jewish law that they were given if you're going to worship God. And Paul is saying, no one was ever made righteous through the law. Uh, it's faith in Christ that makes you righteous. The law makes you guilty and the blood of Jesus Christ makes you holy. They were saying circumcision is the mark of God's people, Paul is saying baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit is the mark of God's people. So this is a theological problem that they're having. And Paul is saying this is not the gospel. This is not the good news. So this is not just a theological problem. This is also a missional problem. Uh, just very practically think about this. Um, I want you to think about how well the gospel would have spread if the Judaizers had won the debate. Um, there's really good news. Jesus is redeeming all things, and I get to circumcise you. Uh, that alone would be significantly enough to slow down the spread of the gospel. But what the Judaizers were actually pushing for was something even more radical than just circumcision. It would have been an entire change in the way you dressed, uh, how they prayed, how they worshipped. It would have led to massive loss of relevance in their own culture, the cutting off of relationships, the loss of business, even the changing of what they eat. The Judaizers were saying, everything about you and the way you exist is wrong and you need to change it to look like us if you want to follow Jesus. That is incorrect. God loves cultural diversity. For some reason, it makes humans uncomfortable, but God loves it. And at the very base of that, that's, that's the false gospel. You have to worship and live like the Jews if you're going to follow Christ. 
And this is something that Christians, as Christians, we have done very poorly for centuries, very poorly. I don't, I've, I don't know how many people have traveled uh, to different countries and different parts of the world, but what I've seen in every country that I've visited is that there's two types of churches. So there's the churches that worship in a culturally appropriately way. Uh, they, in Africa, they're in mud huts and you're sitting on the ground and there's dancing and chanting and Honestly, in those churches, very actual literal preaching of the word, but they sing songs that are related to planting and harvesting because they realize it's part of their culture. But then I'll go to a different church in Africa and it looks just like the average evangelical American church. And it's like someone just transplanted one out and put it there. And what's very fascinating is you go there and that's where the missionaries go to church, but not the locals usually because it doesn't fit, it doesn't spread. And this is kind of what's happening here. They're just having a bigger shift because for centuries, God's people were circumcised and Christ said, you don't need to do that anymore. And he revealed it to Peter in a dream and then filled Gentiles with the Holy Spirit. And then he revealed it with the, the Galatian church and, and it was confirmed by the apostles. But for these Judaizers, it, that's hard to let go. You should look like us. Uh, I've seen this um, in my own life um, where my, when my dad became a Christian, sorry, this is driving me nuts. Um, you should know, we have like a sordid past in my family. Um, we're criminals, mostly. Um, so the, the last time my dad got out of jail, he was like, I got to change my life. This isn't working out. Um, this like robbing people thing. And so he, he went to a church and he said, man, these Christians are supposed to be loving. I'm going to ride my motorcycle right up to the church and wear my leathers and see if they accept me. And so he rode up and he wore his leathers and, and sure enough, they, they just accepted him. And he was like, man, I, like Jesus must be real. And, it, and the church was, was marked by mostly older people who were very, very conservative. But because they saw something different and didn't react negatively, a person began to follow Christ. And so the false gospel of the Judaizers prevents the mission of God. Uh, how, how, how is the gospel then culturally expressed? Galatians 1.10. For I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul's wrapping up his whole argument, argument around the, the will of man and the will of God. He's saying that the will of God is faith in Christ and the mission of God. He's saying that the will of man is to look at differing cultures and say, you have to look and act and think just like us. And in that, that's, this is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not trying to please man. And I wouldn't if I, I wouldn't follow Jesus if I were. And that seeking the approval of Jesus instead of man does something very interesting in Paul's life. 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 22 says, to the Jews, this is Paul speaking, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. 
To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. So, so you see Paul throughout the books of, book of Acts, he'll, he'll go to the Galatians and, and he, he expresses the gospel to the Galatians in a way that the Galatians can understand, but Paul still attends temple. Why does he do that? Why, why does he ask some who, who are going to do ministry for the Jews to be circumcised while not others who are going to the Gentiles? And what he's saying is all of these different people groups, all of them need the gospel. They need to follow Christ. They desperately want to, but they need to do it in a culturally appropriate way. And the mission of God is to meet people right where they're at in whatever culture they're in, in the strengths and weaknesses of those people groups. And not being willing to do that will massively hinder the spread of the good news. So I want to close out with a, kind of a few examples because I feel like this is relatively vague and unless you have done a lot of missions or studied missiology, this kind of like, what, what, what does this even look like? Um, especially those of us who haven't traveled around a ton. A ton. Um, so when I went to, to Ireland, um, we went out and, and dropped off one of our members there for a year. And I remember meeting with some local pastors in, in a coffee shop. And Ireland's coffee shops are very interesting because they all serve alcohol. Um, so it's like, come get an upper and a downer at the same time. Um, and so I walked in and I already knew that, that the culture of the pastors in Ireland is just totally fine to smoke and drink there. That wasn't seen as taboo at all. And so I walked up and, and I see these two, you know, pastors and, and they're both kind of hiding their drinks. And I thought, that is very weird. Um, so I sat down and we introduced ourselves and they hid their drinks. And I was like, Stinking Ireland pastors are shady. <laughs> You're like, what is this? Uh, and, and so I went and I ordered uh, uh, whiskey, and I came back, and both of them, like, removed their hands from their glasses and kind of, like, whew, breathed a sigh of relief. And I was like, what? What's going on? And they're like, we just uh, kind of assumed that since you're from America that you were going to condemn us from having alcohol. And I was like... <laughs> You don't know me. Um, but this, this view that they have about American pastors, that American pastors, man, if you drink, that's, that's just a, a ticket straight to hell. Uh, and, and, and honestly, that's not a wrong view because most pastors I know have that. I remember going to when, where I was a youth pastor, I was forbidden to walk down the alcohol island because I, I had a... a uh, a view of sin. I would look like I was either tempted by the alcohol or a member might see me in there and get tempted or they might actually think I drank some alcohol and then I'd have to be fired. So it's not uh, an unfair view. There, there are churches like that. Um, I remember the first time I went to Malawi uh, and when we bring people down there, one of the, the first questions that we get after attending a small church mud hut service in Malawi is, why don't we dance in our church? 
because uh, they, you know, dance and they go around and everybody's singing their songs. Uh, and the reason why is it's culturally inappropriate. We don't do that. Unless you're a Pentecostal or a charismatic, then you can totally do that. Um, but not in reformed circles. Um, so, and I've been to churches. I grew up going to churches where they wave flags and they swung swords. That was terrifying. Uh, literally, one guy tripped while swinging a sword and it landed in my chair. Um, so... Also, it's dangerous, so don't do that. Um, but it's because it's culturally inappropriate. But also, even the idea of like different expressions of sexuality are very different there. I remember the first time I, I went to a village, and I looked around, and every woman had their top completely off, and they're feeding one baby. And I was just like, what do I do with my eyes now? Um, and if you did that here, you're in sin. You're like... That is a grave sin, like cover up there. The Christian church can do that. That is very normal. It's very normal. Um, I have to look to what I, what I was saying here. Oh, <laughs> I, get, I get distracted sometimes. Um, I recently was talking with a missionary who is doing uh, some work in, in a Muslim country that's undisclosed. Um, but he'd been working with this guy for a long time, this, this, this local Muslim person, and, and he seemed to really like the gospel, and he was really understanding Christ, and, and he, he just wasn't making the decision, not making the decision. And, and this poor missionary had been there for years, and he's like, what is the problem? I, how do I get this person to, to, to follow Jesus and so one day as they were conversing, the Muslim said, I really want to follow Jesus, but I just can't. And the missionary said, why not? And he said, I don't want to have to eat pork. And if I follow Jesus, I'll have to eat pork like you do. And the Christian said, no. No, you can follow all of your, your dietary traditions. You don't have to eat pork if you're a Christian. And in that moment, that's when this Muslim man became a Christian because he assumed that I have to take on American culture to follow Jesus. Now we do that here. We do that with different places and you can walk into different churches. Uh, I remember my dad and I, after he became a Christian working with this other church uh, and, and they accepted him in his tattoos and he actually has more than me, which is impressive. Uh, and, and he was smoking and, and like figuring out his life. He was brought into Christ by this very conservative group of Christians who just loved him and accepted him. I remember years later going to a church in Tucson where immediately when we walked up, everybody started to evangelize us. I was just like, this is weird. Um, and we went there for a few weeks and every week they'd evangelize us and evangelize us and we tell them we are Christians. <laughs> like I own my own Bible. I probably know a little more than you. Like I, I know what's going on. And then then one day I just asked, why do you keep evangelizing me? And why do you keep evangelizing my dad? In particular, they're more heavy on him. They're excited about this talk. Um, and I remember one of the deacons of the church said, well, your dad has tattoos. I was a kid at this time. Um, and if he wants to follow Jesus, he has to get those tattoos removed. You can't have tattoos and follow Jesus. And I thought, I know where we're not going to church anymore. And, but they had this hard view that, yeah, I mean, if you had to, Christians can't get tattooed. You cannot believe the gospel and have a tattoo. You can't follow Jesus and have a tattoo. That's called a Judaizer. 
So we placed these rules. I remember walking into another church and was sent home because I wasn't wearing a tie and I was disrespectful to God. Can't follow Jesus and believe the gospel and not wear a tie. You must take on our cultural expression of the church. And so I, I say these things because often I think we forget the very practical realities of scripture. This whole circumcision argument is you're going to force these type of people to look just like you and how you worship Christ. And you're, in so doing, you're rejecting who they are. You're rejecting the culture that God has placed them into, the dietary restrictions that they hold to. You, you're essentially devaluing them as a human, devaluing the, the image of God in a different culture because it doesn't look like you. And I also want to say it is very easy to become a Judaizer. And we all probably do it now. We probably look at other churches who do things in different ways and we look down on them. They don't sing the songs we sing or they only sing 90s worship songs. That's a thing. We do this. And we're like, they're obviously not as good as Christians as we are. Uh, or, or they have too much liturgy or too little liturgy or, or they have, you know, well, I guess nobody really has smoke machines anymore or fog machines because we can't gather. Um, but they, they do worship differently. And so I want you to think about this question. What do you assume a Christian must be? What do they look like, dress like, worship like? Where, where are you in your life putting something into the story of the gospel and saying, you have to do this if you actually want to follow Christ, and it shouldn't be there? It's very easy to become a Judaizer. But... There's a second question because this whole problem in the book of Galatians is about the mission of God. If God has been on mission to redeem and, and he picked Abraham and, and formed him into a nation to bless the world and, and Christ came and, and he's this pinnacle of, of the gospel and he sends us out with the great commission and the great commandments, we have to ask, can a Christian exist and not be on mission? If the Judaizers would have won this debate, I think the gospel would have been stunted for decades. But I think there's just a great danger that the Christian thinks that he can or she cannot or doesn't have to be on mission that we can just attend and we can just read and, and have our good relationships, but we don't actually have to spread the gospel. So it's very easy to find ourselves there and to become a Judaizer. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to leave you with those two questions. Uh, what do you assume a Christian must be or look like, dress like? worship-like in order to follow Jesus? And can a Christian exist and not be on mission with God? And we're going to have a time of confession. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to leave two minutes of silence for you to talk to God. And that might feel uncomfortable with you because maybe you don't have a lot of silence in your life. Maybe, maybe you're worried about talking to God. I don't know, but God will meet us right there. We can speak with him. And so we're going to have two minutes of silence, and then I'll close us out. Father, um, I feel like we kind of 
tackled some very, very large, large topics and just barely skimmed the surface. And so I ask that you would lock into our minds and hearts an understanding of your word and maybe some new ideas. Jesus, I, I confess uh, that I tend to be a Judaizer in different ways in my life and to look down and say, those people surely can't be Christians because they are so-and-so or they do this or look like that. And I also find myself lackadaisical with the mission of God and make excuses of why I don't have to be on mission with you. And so, Father, I ask that you would show me the ways that I can be and how I should be. Show me the ways that I judge. And, and I pray that for every single person watching on Zoom or in this room, every single microchurch, I ask that you would speak to us about our hearts and then calm us with your grace as we repent. Holy Spirit, I ask that you do that work now. 